0: Good morning again. You may have heard that Dr. Dave is preaching at the new church plant in Burke, Virginia, Christ Church, with the Pastor Porter Harlow. So he was glad to be invited to preach there. If you'll open your outline, get that out, open your Bibles. We are to Mark 4. We are to the first parable in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you've followed some of the recent stories about well-known Christians who have renounced their faith. Certainly not a new thing, uh, but there have been several sort of high-profile folks, um, Josh Harris, who wrote the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye and several others was the senior pastor up in Gaithersburg, Maryland um, at Covenant Life Church uh, moved to Vancouver to go to seminary which we thought was a great idea Uh, unfortunately he's come through that time and is headed for a divorce and has announced that by any definition of a Christian he can't call himself that anymore we mourn for that uh, another man, a worship leader named Marty Sampson, he's written songs like God is Great and All I Need is You, he's part of Hillsong United, has also announced that he's losing his faith, that he has problems with Christians and with Christian theology and um, that he's concluded it's not for me, it's just another religion at this point. Those kind of came close together, and, and so there was a lot of commentary. One, one man, John Cooper of the rock band Skillet, wrote a post called What in God's Name is Happening in Christianity? In which he, uh, you know, sort of addressed the situation without naming uh, these men. But he, he wondered how they could be so bold uh, and proud in announcing their loss of faith that they weren't mourning it, that they weren't humbled uh, and sort of confused. And he exhorted the church to elevate truth over emotion and to look to the scriptures, not to Christian leaders for our grounding. And, of course, that post prompted a lot of conversation and and back and forth and dialogue. And, And now we hear that Kanye West has become a Christian. And so we're hoping that's a real thing and can survive sort of his uh, notoriety in life. I'm sure you're all listening to his new album, Jesus is King, all week. Um, I'm sure that you've known people who seem to be following Jesus who have turned away and decided that the Christian faith isn't for them. I have known people who taught Sunday school, people who brought Others to faith in Christ, who volunteered with our youth ministry, with staff uh, or were staff for parachurch ministries, who now consider themselves atheists or nuns. As check that box. There was a young man in my youth group many years ago who I remember praying with as he committed his life to Christ, but within a few years. Uh, We got together for breakfast and I was sensing that he had really come off that commitment. And I remember talking through that with him and, and as I was pulling up to his house, I pulled out a New Testament and read Mark 4, the parable of the sower and the soils. And I remember asking him very pointedly, which kind of soil are you? And he assured me that he would not fall away, but I have not seen much evidence of his life. He doesn't live around here anymore, but I continue to pray for him. Uh, his story's not over. God's work is not done in his life as, as it's not in so many others, and we hear statistics like perhaps up to 60% of covenant children who grow up in the church walk away from that faith as a scary Sad statistic. So, how do we understand when people who claimed to be Christians at one point decide that they're not anymore? Were they never Christians to begin with? Were they Christians for a while, but now they've removed themselves or God's kicked them out of the family, so to say? Are they still saved against their will? How do we understand the, the preservation of their salvation? Well, let's start today in Matthew I'm um, sorry, Mark chapter four, Jesus' parable, that while it won't perfectly answer all of those questions, it will give us a good foundation from which to understand and to answer those kind of questions. At least give us a framework. It deals with four types of people who hear the word of salvation and what effect it has on them. So turn with me. The first 20 verses. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Can you imagine what they were thinking? I can't imagine sort of just being trying to figure out the point of that one with no clue. Uh, Jesus, thanks for the agricultural lesson in soils and what seed does. I thought we were doing the whole religious kingdom of God thing. Is there something we're missing with this story? Glad you asked. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold." The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Open and illuminate our minds that we may better understand your word and conform our lives to what we've understood through Jesus our Lord. Amen. I know that your Bible probably calls this the parable of the sower, though some of the paraphrases uh, will call it the parable of scattered or planted seed. I really think it's best referred to, and I'm going to refer to it as the parable of the soils. The sower and the seed are the same in every case. It's the soil that changes, and that uh, is the point of the parable. Now parables of course are stories that use everyday objects, events to illustrate illustrate great spiritual truths. I, I can imagine Jesus sitting in that boat, maybe looking on a hillside. Maybe there's even someone sewing as he's speaking. So they provide insight into the nature of the kingdom that has come. But they're designed, Jesus tells us right up front, They're designed to make sense to those who have receptive ears and hearts. And they hide the truth from those whose hearts are hard or not ready. Remember verses 11 and 12. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's really fascinating that this parable of the soils brings out the truth of the fact that many people can hear truth but not really grasp it and be changed by it because their hearts and their lives are not ready to change and the Holy Spirit is not at work in them. The very point of the parable is illustrated and is proven by people's ability or inability to understand it and apply it. So let's start by identifying what the seed is and who the sower is. So the seed is the the message of the gospel, the good news that while human beings have sinned against their holy and righteous creator, and therefore earned the condemnation and wrath that will result in eternal punishment and separation from him that God has provided a way for humans to be made right with him. That way is through believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, accepting that he died on the cross for their sins, taking the punishment that was ours, and ransoming his people. So that their sins are forgiven. Their eternity in heaven is secured. We call that in seminary the kerygma. The core message. The Greek is logos. It's the word. It's the good news that is sown in the world. But you say, wait. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet as he's giving this. So the message as he's bringing it is that the kingdom has come. And that I am The way, the truth, and the life. And the Father has sent me, and I reflect the Father. So uh, the message, the seed, is really the same. It's looking forward to the cross and the resurrection then, but since then. And that gives some insight into who the sower is. The sower is anybody who spreads the message of the gospel, starting, of course, with Jesus himself. I'm sure that Jesus told this parable as a way to help his disciples understand what's been happening at the beginning of this ministry. Because you've got the people who should have been likely to respond, right? The religious leaders, his hometown, friends and family, they should have embraced Jesus' message, right? Right? No, they're telling him he's insane, that he's demon-possessed. And yet, the outcasts, the lepers, the tax collectors and fishermen, the notorious sinners, they're the ones who are actually hearing and receiving and following. So how do you account for how... People responded to Jesus Well, either their hearts were prepared and they had good soil that received the word or their hearts were closed to him and were some other kind of soil. Giving the disciples that context. And the sower is also any other person, any other believer throughout history. So the disciples were going to take that seed, And take it out into the world. And then every Christian through the ages, down to us. If you've been a believer for any length of time, congratulations. You're a sower. This parable has got a lot lot to teach you. The main point of the parable is the description of the different types of soil. So you have to understand that farmers didn't necessarily have these like perfectly plowed rows like they do today. Uh, The landscape in Israel was difficult ground and there were rocks all over hills and basically a farmer probably didn't have a huge plot of land and would just throw seed anywhere he could, hoping for some kind of growth. And so we see that there's three soils that can't receive the seed. And the first soil represents the hard heart that immediately rejects the word And so we look at verses 3 and 4, and then we jump down to 15. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And then the explanation, verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the seed is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. I think the key word here is immediately, right? The seed falls on this path, but there's no chance for the seed to take root. The birds snatch it. Satan swoops in, makes sure that the word does not connect. The message of the gospel has no chance with this type of soil, this type of heart, yet. There's spiritual deafness, They dismissed the message without any serious contemplation of its legitimacy. I remember taking a young man out to lunch many years ago uh, at what used to be Bunkers in Leesburg. He was in his early 20s. He had had some difficult times in life, but he was sort of trying to get his life back together. He was going to church with his family. And as we were shooting pool, we talked about the basics of the gospel. And I sort of thought I was getting somewhere. And I was like, all right, I think he's hearing me. Because he's nodding and he's, yeah, he's ready. Do you want to put your faith in Jesus? No. No, that's not for me. His heart wasn't ready to hear the word and change. I'm sure all of you have some story like that. Family, it's hard right? We try to share our faith and tell people about this amazing gift that we have in our hope in Jesus, but there's no receptivity yet, right? The thing about planting seeds is that you may plant and see no response, no growth, but there may be another planter coming, It's not all fleshed out. The the whole process isn't talked about in this one parable. But we go to like 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. The second soil represents the shallow heart that falls away after a time. So verses 5 and 6 and then down to 16 and 17. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So you still have the word immediately there. But this is a different kind of group, often a difficult group to watch to see this happen. They seem to be responsive to the gospel. They seem to receive it with joy, the parable says. But it doesn't last long. I think of the classic kind of scenario of the kids that get very excited from the speaker at camp or, or at the youth retreat who then have you know, the emotional campfire, singing kumbaya, and uh, all these wonderful songs, and they want to follow God in the moment, in the mountaintop experience that they have, but they come back, and there's no depth. And a couple weeks later, it's like it didn't happen. That's hard to see. Rarely does someone come to faith in Christ as a teen or an adult, and everyone around them responds to the news with, fantastic, we're so glad that you've become a Christian, yay. Right, unless they're just surrounded by family and friends who've been praying for them, the believers. But most of the time, you've got family and friends that are not thrilled That are gonna ridicule that new faith, that are gonna poke holes in it, they're gonna try to talk you out of it. Have you joined a cult? You've been brainwashed? You're gonna be so lame now. We all have pushback like that, right? And there are times that we have to choose the Lord or the world. And those are defining moments in our spiritual lives. Will we crumble? Will we give in to the world and deny the faith? Or will we accept the difficulties, bear up under those hardships, and remain faithful through it? As the old saying goes, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. You know that one? Persevering through trials produces skill, all kinds of Amazing fruit in our lives. Crumbling un- under it can show that we were never believers in the first place. Not always. Certainly, Christians can doubt and waver and give in, and downplay their faith, and that doesn't necessarily mean that this is that soil. But the bottom line is that initial excitement is not a sign of true faith, endurance. Perseverance are the sign of true faith. The third soil represents the divided heart that eventually falls away. Verses 7, 18 and 19. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain And others are the ones sown among thorns. This is down to 18. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this third soil, this third group is the ones who hear it and seem ready to embrace it. But then the realities and the hardships of the Christian life Versus the ease and luxury that is available from the world comes into focus. And it's just a whole lot easier to love the world and the things of the world than it is to make God and his kingdom the first priority in life. The enticing things of the world act as thorns choking people's faith out of them. Our hearts were not made to serve two masters. Just as the soil can't support seed and thorn, the thorns will win out. Just as the pleasures of the world and the drive to be wealthy will win out over living your life to please God. Matthew six twenty four: no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And James 4.4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. You cannot serve God with a divided heart, both because you simply just can't manage it, but because God will not share his glory. And he won't allow his servants to serve other masters. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength if those things are going into pursuing wealth and pleasure. If you're running after the things that that this world desires as the main motivation of your life, you might be totally rejecting the Lord, as the parable says. You might not. You might just be getting your priorities out of line and need to make some radical changes. Do you like to be deceived? Do you like to be lied to? I don't. I don't really like scam calls. I don't really like people that promise one thing. I don't like false advertising. But if you do, by all means, run after money. It will lie to you for the rest of your life. Pursue it as though it's going to make you happy, as though it will satisfy you. And make you whole. Because at some point in the future, you're either going to wear yourself out running after it, or you're going to get it and realize how empty it is. Or you might just be deceived till you die. How much better to take Jesus at his word when he says that riches are deceitful than have to experience it firsthand. That mean I don't have to get a job, I don't have to provide for my family, set aside money for retirement. No. Those are all right and good, responsible living. It's the setting your heart on gaining what you'll never be satisfied with. No matter how much treasure and pleasure you find on this earth, it won't compare to the treasures and pleasures of heaven. So, Three soils that do not receive the seed and produce no crop. Thankfully, Jesus says that there's one more. The fruitful heart that receives, believes, and grows exponentially. So we have verses 8 and verses 20. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold good soil is the only place that the gospel will land and take root and produce a harvest now we can pat ourselves on the back and say that's me i am the good soil I know a lot of bad soils around me, but thankfully, I am the good soil. You can be proud of that, but don't be. There's nothing in you that makes you good soil. Every human being is fallen and undeserving, and by nature, you are a bad soil. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked at its core. It becomes good because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit on the soul. That's not totally explained in this parable, so we have the rest of the scriptures to explain that to us. Titus 3.5, for instance, says, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Persecutions and hardships don't deter people that have received the Spirit. Personal desires, sinful greed and cravings don't distract and derail us. The Word takes root and changes them. My favorite session meetings are when we get to meet with new members. I'm sure many of the elders agree with me. Because we get to hear people's testimonies. We get to hear how creative God has been in the lives of the folks that worship with us. I hear it at presbytery meetings from guys who are are coming under uh, ordination for the first time or transferring in. We hear where God brought them, often from very uh, dramatic, difficult places. What a joy to hear how the Lord changed a person's heart from a heart of stone, from a selfish heart, to a heart of flesh that responds to the Spirit and bestowed salvation on them. So what is the crop? He calls it the grain, the fruit that is produced, the crop that's produced from the seed growing. Because it says it, it multiplies. 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And and I think the first couple times I heard that, I thought, oh, well, then they go and make converts and they convert a bunch of people. And I'm sure there's some sense of how someone would then uh, take the word elsewhere. But I think we're a pretty safe uh, understanding if we see this as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 that is produced in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But it's the benefits of those things when they're exercised, right? Every time you show love to someone else, every selfless act done for God's glory, every time that a Christian could have gotten impatient or mean, angry, or rough, and they choose gentleness, Patience. Those things produce reactions in people, right? And they bear beautiful fruit in spreading the love of Jesus. I think it can also refer to the idea in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Actions that we take in obedience to God And the good that it spreads in the world, everything from intense mission work to just little actions that bring shalom, as the song said, and healing to the world that God accomplishes through our obedience. And Jesus, in John 15, 5, promises that we will bear fruit. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. One of the hardest things about this parable is it sounds like maybe people are losing this salvation. I don't know if you've read it with that understanding before because we can hear it from sort of a Calvinist perspective that you can't lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Perseverance of the saints. And we struggle with what it's saying. But I think we have to consider the nature of, of what sown seed means. The parable says that the sower sowed seed, that the word of God went out. It was either preached or or shared in a winsome conversation, explaining the faith to someone who doesn't know it. It does not mean that the word was grasped and that someone came to faith in Christ and there was a new life and a new heart, that regeneration happened. If that was so, I think the parable would have said that the seed sunk deep, and produce fruit that then was eliminated, but not. Listen to Colossians 1, 21 through 23. It reminds us that, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Clearly, there is a strong emphasis in the New Testament on continuing in the faith, pressing on, persevering as evidence of salvation, not to win it. So we come back to the question that I posed to my friend, which soil are you? Please do not move on in the book of Mark without thinking about the nature of salvation and making sure that you have experienced regeneration, the new birth, salvation in Christ. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Brothers, sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm you're calling an election. Now listen, as a pastor, as a preacher, I never want to make someone who's truly saved doubt their salvation. Right? First John says these things are written that you might know that you believe. Uh, but I also don't want to falsely assure someone who has never experienced the new birth that they are saved when they really aren't. It's not enough to just pray a prayer or tell someone, I became a Christian. R.C. Sproul reminds us that no one is justified by a profession of faith. We must possess the faith we profess if we're to be justified. People can sit in church and go through the motion for a long time, like decades, without realizing that God calls us to a new life in Christ, a regeneration. the regeneration. The difference between the converted, regenerated, self, saved new life and the unconverted, unregenerate old life should be profound. Sometimes it may not feel like it. But if we are truly given a new self, a new nature, all together and long for the things of the spirit rather than the things of the flesh. We will understand it. We're not perfect, we're not instantly sanctified. It would be convenient if we were. We struggle. Romans 7, check it out. But we're new creations, growing and changing, hating our sin, but loving our Savior. If you know that you've been given eternal life and a new self, praise God that he has made your soul into good soil. Look for ways that your life is producing fruit. If you're not sure whether you've received the new life in Christ, please talk to somebody. Come talk to me or Dave or Frank or any members of this church that you're comfortable talking with. We would love to talk with you more about it. But as we go out to sow, you sowers of the word, to those who already believe, the one thing that I don't want you to leave thinking about with this parable is excuses not to sow the word. Because we can't think things like, oh man, that, that guy is just hard soil." He is never going to receive the message. I'm not even going to bother. Or I know she's just so wrapped up in money and her creature comforts that even if she heard it, she'd fall away. We can't, we don't have that option. We can't make those judgments, number one. And number two, God works miracles in the hardest of hearts. I've heard testimonies of Hardened criminals, people on the verge of suicide, mass murderers, terrorists like Paul, addicts, Baltimore Ravens fans, all come to faith in Christ. Sorry, that was low blow. As I was making a serious point, sorry. Additionally, what we see on the outside is never the full picture is it we don't know how far someone is from believing in God and coming into the kingdom a self-righteous person that is an upstanding pillar of the community could be so far from the kingdom because they don't think they have a sin problem whereas a drug addict or a convicted felon understands depravity and understands they are in need. I've always said that atheists and people who seem hostile religion might be closer to the kingdom than people who have a little bit of religion and think that that's enough. Our obligation is to sow the seed, sow the word, and leave the harvest to God. And I think, if nothing else, this parable should be should a huge encouragement. I mean, the parable doesn't talk about the soil talking back. So I understand, like you get in a witnessing situation, it's hard. It's not as easy as just throwing out seed. But if we know ahead of time that more people do not have a heart or soil that will receive the word, we don't have to get discouraged when they don't accept Christ. Or they're just not along this stage. Remember I said this doesn't explain everything. There's going to be other people that share in that person's life. And they move, the Holy Spirit may change the soil that they receive. And also, if you know that every once in a while, the message is going to find good soil. And then it takes root and reproduces 30, 60, 100-fold that should be unbelievably exciting. That you could be part of that process. Salvation belongs to our God, who invites us to join him in it. Don't be discouraged. Look for signs of life and of growth. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. I'll give you a few moments to. Lord God, thank you for this parable. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us in to join you, the great sower that we can go out boldly with the words of eternal life. We've been entrusted as ambassadors to share the greatest news with the world. Thank you that realistically it's going to hit a lot of hard, thorny soils where it's not going to take root. May we continue to pray that those people are still brought into the kingdom somewhere along the line. But thank you that your word produces new life, that as people hear the message of the gospel, the spirit acts, changes their hearts, makes them able to respond, and brings amazing fruit. Thank you that you did it in our lives. And thank you that we get to participate in it and celebrate when we see it in others' lives. God, we rejoice that we are counted worthy through the blood of Jesus who saves us. And we lift this morning to you in Jesus' name.